I just came back from the salon. And for the record, I went with a sassy little bob and quiet luxury shade of blonde. Yes, that's literally what we're calling it, quiet luxury. Aside from trips to the salon, I don't actually blow out my hair. My hair is naturally wavy, and that's why I love Way. Way's new anti-frizz cream is a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I know that I have a limited amount of time <laughs> with wet, wavy hair in which to get myself in order. And that is why I love the anti-frizz cream. It has notes of bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And it smells un. Believable, Truly, as someone who is a little bit sensitive to scents, I put this in my hair and I feel great. It also genuinely pairs well with my perfume, which I appreciate. I don't blow out my hair because after years of color processing and attempting to make it straight, I know it looks better and stays healthier when I avoid blow drying, which is why I love the anti-frizz cream. I've used products, especially with wavy hair, where it feels heavy and looks kind of wet. And that's why I love Waze Anti-Frizz Cream because it enhances the natural waves in my hair. I still look like me, just a little elevated. And P.S. I am way obsessed with Waze's other bestsellers. Their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, my personal favorite. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E- O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code Andy for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com with promo code Andy. I always shop within a budget, just not my own. I may wear a mask, wash my hands, and social distance, but unless you're the CDC, don't expect me to play by your rules. Ah! <laughs> Obviously, it was both shady and intellectual, and I would expect nothing else from this week's guest. You guys, it's Andy's Girls. It's episode 179, and I am so excited to deep dive about a thousand and five different topics with none other than writer, editor, host of one of my all-time favorite podcasts, Shut Up Evan, and as I like to refer to him, the Doris Kearns Goodwin of all things Bravo. You guys, it's Evan Ross Katz. Evan Ross Katz, how are you? Oh my God, I just got very screechy. I'm going to hear about that in my next interviews. <laughs> Evan Rosskatz, how are you doing? I am fantastic. I'm better now, and I'm so happy to be back. This is one of my absolute favorite podcasts to listen to and to be on. <laughs> I just have to tell you, like, let's just talk about how much we love each other. Please. Guys, this is going to be the entirety of the episode, and then we're just going to um, stop recording and then talk about Potomac. <laughs> um, I just have to say, your wisdom on social media and when we talk, and now that, you know, we text, I mean, we've probably texted for a while, but I love asking your opinion on fashion stuff. I love, you know, reposting on IG just all everything that you've ever done. I just think you're so smart and funny and introspective in a way that is so thoughtful and appreciated right now, especially when there are times where I'm like, does anything I'm saying out loud make sense? And I feel like you're such a great translator 
not only for thoughts and feelings that I might have, but also considering opinions that I hadn't previously thought of, if that makes any sense. So I'm so appreciative to have you. And the timing of this worked out so beautifully (laughs) because there's so much for us to discuss. So I just wanted to say mazel tov on season two of Shut Up Evan. Thank you. Can I throw a compliment back at you real quick? I mean, of course, that's only, that's all that we're discussing. So like, obviously I listen to the pod every week and I think one of the many talents that you possess is every time you have a guest on, I feel like your conversations with them, every time that you are responding to something that they're saying, it is so clear that you are listening to your guests in the questions that you follow up with. And so often when I see podcast formats in which it's like a host having various Mm co-hosts every week. I feel like sometimes the hosts, like I sense that they're not listening because they have a way they want it to go. And I feel like you are so malleable with your guests in sort of letting them, um, no, I was gonna say letting them steer the ship, but you steer the ship. You, you let them sort of take it where they want to go and you keep the ship. What are these ship metaphors? But you're keeping on course. We're sailing. We're (laughs) sailing. Things are happening. And thank you. I mean, thank you for that. I have to say, um, You know, I do try my best. And one of the things that I find so helpful for me in my life is that I went to school for theater. And I say this often to people, which is I went to school and got my degree in thoughts and feelings. And it was sort of like, you know, really um, drilled into us how important it is to listen to your scene partner and also to yourself. And so... Thank you for that. That is so sweet. And I also feel like, you know, I don't know everything. I know almost everything, but I don't know everything. So for me, I just like learning and I'm, you know, curious as I know you are too. And um, I'm so happy that Shut Up Evan is back because the conversations that you have with people who range from, you know, winners and icons from drag race to celebs to writers and editors is so helpful to me to understand that perspective because you're so connected in so many different worlds and it just brings me such a thrill when you come on Andy's Girls so we can kind of talk about all of them within hopefully within the context of Housewives yeah it's funny it's like of all of like my big interests Housewives is something that has not really found its way onto the pod quite yet um I have one housewife lined up for later this season but I'm hoping to make that I'm hoping to bring more into the fold Okay, can we just dive into something? There's so much for us to discuss. We just watched the Potomac trailer, mid-season trailer. There's a lot happening. Trump has COVID. Okay, um, that's all we may say about that. Um, There's just a lot happening in the world. But I don't know who the housewife is that you're having on your pod, but I do know because I stand your social media that you are friendly or have been friendly with Lisa Rinna. And I'm curious, we just wrapped Beverly Hills. I am very, very curious for your thoughts on this season and her role. (laughs) Role. I mean, 
and just really anything else, you know? I'm really glad you brought that up because I'm glad you brought that up because I've seen your reaction and a lot of the listeners Mm -hmm. of your podcast reaction to her and I get it, believe you me, Um, but Mm -hmm. I am delighted to have the opportunity to sort of like speak to this as someone who... I'm going to use, what's that little squiggly side? Cause it's like, it's like almost like an asterisk. Like I am friendly friends with her. So I would say that I divorce the Lisa Rinna that I know from the Lisa Rinna on the real housewives as I think Lisa Rinna does. Um, (laughs) But I would just say, I kind of feel about Lisa Rinna on this season of Housewives the way I feel about Meghan McCain on The View, which is to say that I do not agree with a lot of the things that were said um, or espoused, but I also feel like without them on the show, there really would not have been, there would really not be much there. And it's not to say that I don't think that there are like really strong players on both shows. Um, But I just think that Lisa accepted a role that she was offered by Bravo. I really do feel like it was like Lisa did not concoct this. It was offered to her. And I think Lisa hit the gas really hard. I don't think it's a great look. I won't lie. But I ultimately think that she kept the little thread of a plot line that we had this season going because of the fact that Brandy wasn't present for her own storyline. More, I mean, not often present, I should say. Mm -hmm. And so Lisa really was the antagonizer. um, And we did get that great, ooh, you're so angry moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But my kind of bottom line with like Beverly Hills, it's, I'm just not really uh, team anyone when it comes to Beverly Hills. Even the housewives on Beverly Hills that I like, like Dorit, I don't really like them. I like mm-hmm. them. There's no one that really gets me excited on Beverly Hills since, I guess, since Kim Richards left. Um, because Beverly Hills, minus a little bit Sutton, but Beverly Hills really lacks kooky characters like Kim Mm -hmm. Richards was really known for um, or Taylor or Adrian. um, And I love a kooky character. So I am curious to see how they can rejudge. But yeah, I, yeah. So long story, me and medium length. Didn't think it was a great (laughs) season for Ms. Rinna. um, Mm -hmm. But I also feel like she remains integral to the show. I mean, listen, I think we know why Lisa Rinna was brought on. As you said, I recorded a Patreon over this weekend with my mother and showed her iconic housewives clips, including the bunny moment. And she was, she had many thoughts on all of it, potentially unsurprisingly, but she immediately connected with the bunny scene when I, she didn't know who Lisa Rinna was. Um, Apologies to Lisa Rinna. But you know, when I told her, Oh, this woman is a soap opera actress amongst other things and she was like oh soap opera oh then this all makes sense and I think for Rinna there's always sort of been a performative aspect to her everything is heightened and she comes from that world it just feels like she used to be in on the joke and I don't know 
how in on the critique she currently is. She obviously is very focused on other people understanding when they're in hot water. But as far as her own, I've just been really slightly annoyed by her social media, which is like, fuck you, all the trolls. I'm a queen. Look at me dance. You know, like I'm an icon. And that's kind of all there is. You're shit stirring on the, on the show. You're extremely defensive of it on social media. And then you're twirling. And... I don't know. And you know, that makes me think, because I think that there's a parallel between a lot of Rinna's behavior on social media and Nini's recent behavior on social media. Yes. And I think that when it comes down to it, it's like, the reason why I love Housewives like Jules from New York is because she was just never on social. Like Social media was not part of the bargain for her. Mm-hmm. Um, even like a Kristen Takeman comes to mind in terms of you have like this faction of the Housewives who really are plugged in and popping off Candace Dillard being another great example of that archetype. Mm-hmm. I really love like your, I mean, I learned Karen Huger. Yes, 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 yes. Sorry. Um, about, no, that's, um, but I really sort of like when the housewife is either, either unplugged entirely or like comes on, on show day and like says a few things. But like, once you get into like that Carol Radswell, like blogging mm-hmm. territory, mm-hmm. um, and like really like going in and and trying to like spill the tea, um, I'm pretty put off. Yeah, and I feel like there was a certain point where Rinna was not necessarily the voice of the audience, but the voice of a certain perspective that at least made me think that she was like understanding of what was happening. And now I just wonder, is she at the point... Not as much as maybe Erica Jane, but is she at the point in her journey where she thinks she is both inside and above the show? You know, it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel it's such a bubble that I'm like, you're I'm so not attracted to this energy. I just I, I, I think she is she can embrace being the villain. She she's struggling with that idea and bless her for it. That could actually be really fascinating, too. I just wonder, could she ever be brought back down to earth? You know? I wonder that too. I mean, I wonder in many senses how the show can retool itself in an interesting way that's not just spiraling further down the drain. Um, I mean, it. let's be clear, it's been in the drain for several seasons, but I feel like we mm-hmm. had a moment where we're like, oh my gosh, like some life, you know, the, the, the train is coughing something up. Um, and then we kind of like lost course. Kind of like almost like a reverse New York in a way because I really came around on season 12 as we sort of stumbled along, stumbled. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious to see sort of like where Beverly Hills, where they go. Obviously, I know we're really curious to see if Garcelle comes back. But also, I do think there is just like a general overstanding about aspects of Beverly Hills, namely Dorit, where it's like, I just feel like we kind of we accept like C plus behavior as a minus when it comes to Beverly Hills. And mm-hmm. something I'm realizing with New York is though, I do not think this was like a stellar season of New York by any measure. I was always entertained um, in a way that with Beverly Hills, I I really am seldom entertained, let alone enjoying myself. And now I will say I was not enjoying myself at all times with New York this season, mm-hmm. but I was constantly entertained and That is, you know, not for nothing, I think, an important aspect of these shows. I also think, you know, there are people on New York 
for me to empathize with. Mm. I empathize with Leah. I empathize with Tinsley. I empathize with many aspects of Luann. And on Beverly Hills, like, where is the soul of this show? The anchor of someone saying something smart or true or real? I don't see that anywhere. The only context is maybe some aspects of what Denise was saying, but she was so disinterested in having relationships with these women that there were no real stakes aside Mm -hmm. from, I don't want this shown on TV. She doesn't care about friendships on the show. And then I look at New York and I'm like, this season was not good to me. It was annoying in some (laughs) aspects because I was just kind of tired of the same thing over and over again. But I still have a kinship with these women because so many of them remain in in different areas real. Like there's something true and honest there, even if it's like packaged in bullshit. And Beverly Hills, I'm just like, this is it. This is where we are right now. I mean, obviously a nation, you know, rejoices about Teddy, but that's not going to solve the problem. There needs to be a new addition of some alpha of some sort, ideally not a single person from the entertainment industry. We're at capacity right now who well can come in and bring some sort of humanity, like some sort of personality that's connected to being a human person. Cause I'm not getting that right now. And it's frustrating. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you bring up Lou because first of all, I think this was a stellar season for Lou um, and a stellar reunion. But I think that when you bring up Lou, it just makes me think about the fact of like Lou kind of is your ideal housewife for many reasons. But one of which being that like she cycles through many seasons. She has Mm -hmm. up seasons and she has down seasons and not just her, not just in terms of her arc on the show, but also in terms of how we, the fans, feel about her. You know, Mm -hmm. there was general Lou fatigue in season 11 because it was very clear that she had suffered kind of what from Karen Huger seems to be suffering from right now, which is sort of like the inflation of the ego. But Mm -hmm. what you're seeing with Lou is it's like she's such a truly dynamic presence that I actually feel like a lot of the... Whatever was sort of happening with her in season 11, we got this Lou reminded me of season six Lou, which I don't know if anyone's gone Mm. back and watched season six recently, but Lou really is like very voice of reason in season Mm -hmm. six, like more Mm -hmm. so than any other season. It's kind of like the area in between like the Countess and like Wild Lou, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's like the, what the season before, um, um, just be cool. Don't be all uncool. It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah. So right in between Mm -hmm. there. And so I feel like Lou is really kind of what you want in a housewife. And I feel like Beverly Hills, there's not sort of that um, churning of the journey. Everything seems to be very like, it just seems to keep going in the direction you think it's going to go to the extreme. Mm -hmm. Camille Grammer being like a great example of, oh, wow. It's like had an awful uh, season one. And then have this amazing season two and you're like, oh, okay, this is exactly what we want. But then everything since then has just been evil Camille. And mm-hmm. so, it's, again, it's like there's just no layers. And Brandy, it's like, okay, Brandy's just going to keep being this person. It's fine. It's just, you know, we've done it. I think with Camille and Brandy, there seems to be some sort of sense of, trying to claw your way back to 
a time several years prior in which you felt integral to your specific franchise, both of which happens to be Beverly Hills. And Camille has the sense memory of St. Camille, but is probably confused why she's getting a lot of reaction online that's not exactly in line with that. That's probably also pretty different in its critique than even how she was criticized her first season. And then there's Brandy, who's so desperate. And there's validity to her desperation for cash for and I don't begrudge her for that for cash for money for that kind of attention and fame and it's connected to maybe even her first season where she came in it was the crutches it was the crystal meth in the bathroom or maybe even her second season and there becomes a point where you know ex-housewife doesn't live here anymore where we're not begrudging the value that you brought the power that you brought but it just doesn't make any sense to the show anymore. And did you watch Nene on Tamron Hall? I did. <sighs> With Nene, it was 30 minutes long, first off. It was the full first part of the show, which is amazing when you think about the fact that literally nothing was discussed for 30 minutes. Yeah. But that's a talent. I wish I had. And maybe I do. Um. <laughs> But with Nini, I felt like, okay, Nini is saying she was super important to the creation and popularity of Housewives. Agree. Nini has concerns, anger, frustration about how she feels she has been disrespected on the franchise. I can certainly empathize with that. But Nini is not the same person she was 10 years ago nor is the show. She has been through many, many twists and turns, as has her franchise. And ultimately, just because you are, were a crucial part of the recipe doesn't mean we need that much of that ingredient right now. You know, and it's sort of the same problem that most housewives face when you realize the show is moving on without you, you know, and you're looking in the rearview mirror, but the car is already speeding away. The Jacqueline Lorita story. Oh God, which painful. <laughs> oh my God. She never should have come back. She didn't want to come back. She we didn't want her back. We didn't. I mean, I was curious about it, but yeah. maybe that was a problem. With Nini, there are so many holes in her defense and she has been so combative and reactive online that it makes me uncomfortable even trying to have like a nuanced conversation because I think there is some truth and honesty to her frustration it is entirely possible that she was treated differently or her cast was treated differently by I'm going to say majority white executives at the network that she didn't feel as valued as a Kyle Richards did or somebody else but it's also quite obvious that she hasn't wanted to really participate on the show for several seasons. She thinks that her value has stayed the same as it was even five years ago, as it had been five years ago. And also you're not giving us any examples of the narrative that you've tried so desperately to create, which is 
that something terrible happened here and I have several examples and even though I posted a photo with Lisa Bloom slide into my G uh, Gmail DMs if you have a discrimination attorney and all of this other stuff and it's like sweetie like give us your your example her own example her only example was the fact that she was offered a six episode contract this season that doesn't mean that you're being mistreated it just means that you're no longer a good fit full-time you know what did you think of that I mean was it just me I watched that interview live which is shocking and was like what are we even talking about there's and where are we where are we she says she's at her condo in Miami but she's doing all of her videos in a hotel lobby either of that condo building which is being very generous of me or at a building next door which I think is the actual reality <laughs> She's allowing who is agreeing like if Nini's going to post a video wherever the fuck for her YouTube page. God bless. But if you are producing a talk show, is, is, did she literally only say it's in this room or nowhere? Does she think it makes her look rich, bitch? Like what? I don't understand. There is noise. People walking by children scampering like why aren't we in a well-controlled hashtag new audio room of this condo that we're hearing about instead of a cavernous lobby of some space? And why is this like the biggest quibble that I have after watching that? I don't know, but it was questionable. But so what do you think of the, of Nini and Nini online calling retweeting tweets that compared Andy to a slave master? It was a lot. It was tough. It was tough. Yeah, um, it is tough. I think it's a complex conversation as you as yeah. you sort of articulated, not sort of, as you did articulate. Um, I My question that I would have for Nini if given five minutes in a room with her would just sort of be like, what is the end goal here? What do you want out of this? Do you want to be on the show and be asked to be back full time at a bigger salary? Is that the want? Or is the want to say, fuck you and blow everything up in your absence? And I'm getting the impression that it's both. And obviously it can't be both. And so that makes me, as on the audience side of this, a little bit confused because I do like Nini. I will always like Nini. And there is truth in a lot of what she's saying in in, in the aspect of like, this we would not have housewives permeating the culture the way mm -hmm. we did if it weren't for Bethany, Teresa, and Nini. I really yes. do believe like we Kyle's not an OG in that same sense, and neither and is maybe Vicky. Lisa Vanderpump. Maybe not as important as Nini, but like right around in there. Fair, no, totally. Lisa Vanderpump. Yeah, before Vicky, I would. Say but like, I think Lanethia deserves her flowers, and so yes. I do think that needs to be a part of the conversation because I think often when we talk about Nini, we're talking about the, the last couple of years where things kind of went off course, but like that's forgetting the many years, particularly like seasons three, four, five, and six, I think when mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. it was like prime Nini. But I just think that the way she's going about this seems to be like throwing out every kind of accusation and and it's what's unclear is like my perception from watching the show was that nini and andy had a, had a friendship not quite on like the bethany andy level but like it seemed like a really real friendship and it really does did i should say seem like mutual respect and you can even see during the wendy interview that kind of 
made all of this sort of spiral. You could even see Andy trying really hard to be diplomatic in terms of his him responding to (laughs) the mess that Wendy was was flinging. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I feel bad for Nini that she feels like she has to go out in this way. Um, I just, again, it's like, I want to know, what do you want us to feel, Nini? Like, where where do you want this to go? Do you want this show to be a part of your legacy? Or do you want to burn it all down and just make that clear for us? But I just think the whole way she's going about this is just very sus. I mean, from the YouTube, kind of trying to build out her YouTube page mm-hmm. through these sort of like call outs. And I just think she's, hurling some big accusations a la Kathy Griffin style. And it's like, Mm. I wonder what she's going to do to see this through. And I just want to say in response, sorry, like one thing in response to, um, no one knew you until you knew me. Yeah. It's just not totally true because it's like, again, you have to factor in Teresa and Bethany into this conversation. And it's like, yes, Nini is a big part of this story, but she's one of an ensemble of like, OG. It's not just ensembles on Real Housewives of Atlanta specifically. And she's up there in the pantheon. Don't get me wrong, but it's like, Andy doesn't owe his career to Nini in the way that Nini owes her career to the real Housewives of Atlanta. So I want to be clear here. Nini doesn't owe her career to Andy. No one is beholden to either. Mm -hmm. But she's just swinging low. And I don't love kind of the low blows with Wendy specifically. Um... Because it's like saying that she was on drugs. Well, it's just like she literally said that. Well, it's like Wendy is has been very open about her battle with substance abuse. And so Mm -hmm. I think to put that on blast and then also sort of like the disease shaming um, about I don't know the name of Wendy's condition, but the thing that causes her to have lymphedema. Yes, lymphedema. I'm fucking that up. Lympha. I think it's I think that's right. That was awful. But again, it's kind of like you're criticizing someone because they have a disease. Like I it's just again it's like I want to like Nini and she makes it so hard. But can I just end by saying I do oh think that God, there's absolutely going. a level of racism in terms of the way white fans react so negatively yes. to Nini. It's sort of like this vitriol that I think a lot of white people often unconsciously or subconsciously carry towards black people, specifically black women. And so I do not think it's fair the way people talk about Nini and sort of like dehumanize her because at the end of the day, like she is a human. She has gone through some shit, a lot of which we've seen on the show. And my sense is that this is a human being reacting out of hurt and, you know, hurt people hurt people. Amen. And so that's my sense. I do not like the behavior, but I, I'm not like, I'm, I don't like this team business. So I don't want to say, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not over Nini by any sense. And I honestly think like, I would love to revisit this conversation in six months once mm. Nini puts a lot of the tweeting on ice. Oh my God. Amen to everything that you're saying. And when you're talking about the lens of, privilege that a lot of white bravo holics use in which to view and critique 
black Bravo celebrities. Nowhere could that be more clear than this week on Potomac, where they're talking about, oh my God, violence on housewives. Now, if you want to talk about violence on housewives, like if you want to talk about like getting physically whatever, that is one thing. But you need to talk about New Jersey. You need to talk about Beverly Hills. You need to talk about Orange County. I don't think it's happened on New York. It fucking went down in Miami, if we all remember that. There are a myriad of examples. Uh, Joanna Krupa, don't say me. There are a myriad of examples that one can use in which to criticize physical violence on a Bravo show. And I wouldn't start with Potomac. And I just would encourage people. And I'm just essentially only speaking to non-black viewers right now that if you are criticizing what Monique did and you're thinking in your head, did I do that same thing about Teresa or did I celebrate Mm. it? Then just like have that moment. There is something that you brought up that I wanted to just touch on very briefly, which is the shade that, um, that Wendy Williams displayed for Nini and Nini's anger about it. And just to say you are bringing on Wendy Williams for a reason. I love when she's on watch what happens because she essentially like buries Andy. It is so pleasant to watch. She just is literally like, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Why is this happening? You understand how bad this is, right? Like she really, she holds him accountable in a way that nobody else can or would. And so I love that, but it's also watch what happens. Isn't live right now to my knowledge. It's watch what happens at home pre-taped for a very important reason, which is tech. Um, I cannot imagine producing that kind of show with always rotating guests in the manner that it's done in 22 minutes plus commercials. So I celebrate Team Watch What Happens Live, but it's not done. This isn't like she just said these things. Obviously, they're going to include it and they're probably going to, you know, pre uh, have, you know, releases ready about it because, you know, it's a moment. And so when Andy is asking these questions, it's not that he's shocked and surprised. He knows what he's going to receive. He's not sure exactly of like the decorations of the package, but he knows that he's about to get a gift. And so when Nini's talking about like, how dare you guys and blah, 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 there is an element there that I understand of like, you brought this woman on knowing that she was going to say things, knowing about our relationship and our history. And I understand why Nini's upset about that and about other things that Wendy has done. Read private texts on on the show, talked about the fact that she's quitting and at, you know, not ideal times. Um, so I get that. It's just the fact that this is also a part of playing the game. I was just going to say. Like, it's like, it's like Wendy made a comment, excuse me, Nini made a comment about Wendy saying, mm-hmm. cause she was really angry that Wendy brought up the kids. <clears throat> Nini's mm-hmm. like, you know, my kids didn't choose this. And at some point it's like, they kind of did. Like your if your kids don't, didn't want to appear on the show, they wouldn't. That's why there's a lot of instances. Oh, go ahead. You feel differently? Yeah. The instances where children aren't shown on the show isn't because the large instances, Bethany, um, Sonia, uh, most recently Sutton, it's not because the kids were like, I don't want to film. It's because their parent, their other parent refused to sign a release and allow it. And with minor children, I just take away, they don't, 
they're not like adult enough to even understand the concept of how this footage is going to be used. So I give a lot of extra grace to like the kid stuff. I think what Wendy was talking about was the idea that like Nini thinks she is owed spinoffs, but it's going, they're all, they would all be terribly boring. And so Nini's saying, how dare you come for my family? But your family isn't candies. Like, I'm sure you've pitched stuff, but it, to me, would be boring TV. Yeah. Which is a different conversation <clears throat> than, like, the kids understand. I think I think housewife kids today understand better than, yeah. you know, Nini's kids would have 10 or 12, however many years ago. Sorry, just to say. Just yeah. Just add a little caveat. I think it's also worth noting that, like, as we start to get into, like, the, the teenage years of these mm. shows, you start to think about, like, think take Friends, for instance, one of the mm -hmm. most famous shows ever on television, for better or for worse. That show ran for 10 seasons, and it was very clear around between seasons, like, 8 and 9, that mm -hmm. they were running out of gas because yes. they had sort of hit every note that they could. Mm -hmm. And again, as we're looking into these shows and getting into the seasons 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, et cetera, I mean, what is this? OC is going to be what? Like 16 or something? I think it's 15 or, or 14 yeah, or 15. I, mean, like, I always forget the numbers, yeah, honestly. I'm I, not yeah. a numbers person. Well, it's like why I remember with that franchise. Math but, is hard. Yeah. But um, my point being, it's like, it's hard to come in every year. I imagine they have like that big production meeting where it's like, what's your plot going to be this season? And I imagine it's hard when you get into those teenage years to continue to have not only stories to tell, but stories that contain an arc, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm going to release this fitness DVD, uh, this fitness DVD, and I'm going to rival another housewife who's also going to make a fitness DVD like that, Scott, but you don't get that every year, right? Right. And so I think in the case of Nini, the especially when you have built an empire so quickly, there's a lot of expectations around Nini. Mm -hmm. And I think she defaulted these last couple years to fighting because mm -hmm. she thought a lot of her iconic moments have been during fights. Um, mm -hmm. But I just, I do wonder, it's like, I, I'm surprised even, I think Lou's like the best example, not to make this a Lou Stan account, but like Lou is such a great <laughs> example of, I often, I was just actually thinking about this the other day. I was like, oh, wow, there's like the count years of, of Roni and then there's the Jacques years and then there's the Tom years and like there's now and it's like we have gotten, I mean, the many, like the many Lou's that have appeared on this show. She is one of the few that's managed to give us so much range. Now let's compare that to a Kyle Richards, for instance, who mm. after you stole my goddamn house, we never got anything from her. Because, and part of that is because she's just an uninteresting human being. Mm -hmm. And the other part of that is just, I imagine it's difficult when you don't have a lot going on in your life and you don't have drama that's really fueling you to come in every year and like have plot. God bless Candy. Candy, queen of like making plot. Because Candy's mm -hmm. plot is that she's doing business, right? And it's mm -hmm. like Candy, ugh, fucking hustler. Um, mm -hmm. Candy makes plot. Karen Huger is making plot. So I appreciate that. And it feels just to like think a little bit about Candy for a second. Candy is 
very smart and very successful. Candy did not need the housewives in which to be a success story. She already had been, but she has monetized the ever living fuck out of being on the housewives. And we all focus on Bethany because billion dollar brand or whatever the hell else. And she cashed out and it was a huge check. And we got to see her journey from, I don't know if I can pay the rent on my one bedroom to where she is now, where she's just like swimming in YSL and love her for it. But you look at Candy, who has created so many distinct brands, who has been able to successfully monetize a narrative where she was accused of plotting sexual assault. And not only did that not stop her, but she was able to say, like, you dared say this crazy shit about me for whatever reason. I'm not going to sue you, but I'm going to make a motherfucking mint. And the ways in which uh, Nini has sort of passive aggressively tried to say that Candy doesn't deserve to have had the shows that she had she's had and also PS why haven't I had mine mm. is so dismissive of Candy's talent as a producer mm. let alone personality that it drives me insane like Candy Candy had Candy Coded Nights which was an online show for her however long she had the spin-off of the Candy Factory she went fucking skiing she went on a ski trip with her family and she got a show. And regardless of whether or not I watch that show, I respect her for it. You know, like Candy gets married, whatever else. If Nini is not able to successfully sell a spinoff, I don't think it's related to anything else other than the fact that the quality was not good enough to produce. Because ultimately, that is what matters. And if you're not producing well enough to remain on the show why are you getting another show mm. and you know what if you don't have it in you to produce that that's fine you know that's what i mean fine. it's like no one's faulting her for not being able to like shill out these plots every season that's not that does not like a, a bad human being make it just means that she's not right for this show um you know though this is making me think do you know the musical gypsy I went to school for musicals. Before. Okay, yeah, yeah. So like, there's a little bit of Mama Rose, and and go with me oh. here because it, it's not it's not a complete lateral thing, but it's like there's a little bit there's that line that Mama Rose says to Louise at the end. She's like, "I made you," you know. And I feel like with Nini, there's a is little this bit Nini's turn. Are well, this is <laughs> my God, I would love to see that revival. But there's a little bit of that quality, which is that like, yes, you did make this. But mm -hmm. in your shadow has come something perhaps even better. And that doesn't discredit what you made. And I think that's the complex thing that both Nini is unaware of and some fans and how they react to her, which is that like Nini deserves fucking respect. She mm -hmm. really does. Mm -hmm. And, and she has grown to become an ultimately not a right fit for this show in what the show has grown to become. And I feel like, like many things in life, it can be both and it deserves to be looked at with nuance. I just snapped. I don't know if you guys can hear that in the background with hashtag. I don't think I've ever snapped on 179 episodes of Andy Shows. I felt it so deeply that I felt very cool and young. Guys, I grew up with Instagram. I'm naturally contoured. It's just, I, I really... That was everything. And I do feel like we need to pivot because you're talking about nuance. And we experienced one of the wildest episodes of any franchise 
ever in history. Amen. Evan's stretching. Like, I'm ready. (laughs) And, you know, I was a guest on Come Through Queen this week, which was such a pleasure, such a privilege. Guys, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes for this episode. Thank you, um, Dan and uh, uh, Brendan, for having me. And I experienced a bucket list moment, which is that during Shut Up Evan, you have like friends of the guest, you get surprised with like a voice note question. And they said something, Evan Ross Katz, and I immediately was like, my like ears are perked. And then they started playing audio and I didn't understand what was happening. I thought that they had recorded something with you and I was experiencing it. And then I realized toward the tail end that this was a question directed at me and I have no idea what was asked. I essentially was like running on fumes at that moment because I was like, I don't even know what's happening. But it was such a genuine thrill because I love your pod so much that I was like, oh my God, we're having this moment where like I'm a guest on a pod that I lo- that's so amazing and you're talking to me. Anyway, all this to say, you asked a question about Monique and Candace, and because everyone is talking about teams, myself included, we need to note what I think so many of us understand, which is there is so much nuance to what we saw this week, to the idea of whose side you're on, and also like what does this mean for the future of this current existing cast. So I'm really appreciative that you're on this week because we just need to like talk about it. So let's talk about it. I just watched Potomac for the third or fourth time right before we recorded. I have watched that moment in slow-mo I have put polls on Instagram asking about sides, noting that you know, and and who started, who's who initiated this altercation while noting that initiated could mean what was Candace doing behind the scenes, what episode, what what happened on preceding episodes, was it a matter of like physical um someone physically initiating it versus verbally whatever. Mm. What were your thoughts? There's so much nuance, essentially, at the end of the day. What were your thoughts initially watching the episode? And has that perspective changed? My thoughts initially watching the episode are kind of informed by all of the reports that had come out in the preceding months, Mm -hmm. sort of talking us through very like various details that start to emerge over time. Like, there had Mm -hmm. been this fight, and it was very much presented as a real fight had occurred and the question was, were cameras up? And then I remember like some cell phone footage leaked Mm -hmm. at one point and we got a little glimpse of it. And in that footage, we saw the cameras, at which point we realized the cameras were up. Um, I would say it's important to look at this fight in the context of like other big fights on the franchises. And I think like the very first big fight ever on Housewives is worth kind of examining in this instance, which would be Teresa and the table flip. And the reason I bring that up is because I think these those fights are similar in that it's not kind of clear how we got from zero to 100. It happened really fast and it just didn't seem like it like met the threshold of the moment in contrast to like Amsterdam when it's like that Amsterdam scene is five minutes of us ramping up to the glass being thrown. Mm-hmm. We get like, it builds and builds and builds. I understand that you, one might argue it's like, well, this fight like built a little bit. I don't mean it like the actual like timing so much as just like, it's never been made clear what Monique is really, really mad about because 
just a few episodes ago, it feels like 20 years ago, they were cool. Like, just that things sort of went off course at that dinner. But it's just, I and don't hear me out here. I'm loving Potomac. But I don't love a fight like this because I just don't know why you're fighting. And as a Monique super fan or a former Monique super fan, oh, ow. it's cut. really, really hard to understand the psychology of like what took the fight to this level. And it's just, it's always going to be really difficult to someone that throws fists. You know what I mean? Especially when the situation didn't feel threatening to her in any way. It, there's no argument of like, well, she was doing it out of defense. Um, so I'm just kind of unsettled by it because like, I love Monique. I love Monique. She possesses a, that rare quality of like a housewife that was brought in, in a season two that feels like an OG, you know? Um, and I've like loved her journey and like Chris Samuels, like top tier house husband. Oh, love him so much. Yeah. Milani, so you know, T'Challa, like she gives mm. us side characters. She kind of has that candy like quality in terms of like, I care about the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's unsettling. And I just am curious, especially, you know, you and I just watched the, um, mid-season the mid season trailer. trailer. I just don't see a world in which Monique can fit in on this show. I know we know she doesn't go on the trip. Um, I obviously think we'll get an explosive reunion, but I'm disappointed that my sense is all we're going to get for from Monique for the rest of this season is aftermath. Mm-hmm. And I think Monique has so much more to offer than that. And I'm disappointed that that's kind of the path that we're going to go down with Monique. Um, I agree with you on several aspects Related to what you're saying, I do think it's a shame that there's now going to be such a fracture. I don't think it will be as bad as when Lisa Vanderpump only recorded in short spurts with Camille, but I do not think it's an ideal an ideal for a show that's in large part based around, hopefully, friendships and relationships with these women. I think Monique in many ways is trying to have it both ways. I don't, I, you know, theme of the day is I don't begrudge her for it, but she seems to have a lot of anger about behind the scenes conversation of how her cast members are talking about her and trying to figure out ways in which to like harm her on camera and harm her in the sense of saying that she's cheating with her trainer, that her um, baby isn't Chris's, whatever it is, there's a lot of frustration and anger that she feels about that happening and she's not willing to discuss it on camera and I get why she doesn't want to bring this stuff on camera because she doesn't want to talk about it she doesn't want to give fuel to it because then that gives permission to um, Giselle to Candace to Sharice maybe even to talk about things about a narrative that she just doesn't want to refer to at all or that she'll refer to like as background and not direct quote. However, she's also trying to use that situation as reasoning for why she was already at an 11 or had been bubbling under the surface for the last several weeks as she is coming to terms with what happened and feeling, I don't know, not manipulated, but like taken advantage of or just hurt or betrayed, feeling betrayed. 
And in hearing her Instagram lives, which she has now told us she's no longer allowed to do, nobody on Potomac is anymore, you know, she references that moment and her frustration and anger, you know, but because she's unwilling to have that conversation with us or with her cast members in the context of filming, it makes an altercation like this one all the more confusing mm. because I'm hearing her in real time explanation of I'm really frustrated and was angry at these women about this in on the show. And as we saw um, in the midseason trailer, like the snippets or or maybe it was online, the snippets of like Candace threw, you know, a glass of wine or whatever else. And we know that that was literally not the case. It, it you know, people have done slow-mos friend um, uh, face reality 16 did a slow-mo version several people oh no bravo like there have been accounts that have done um, uh, uh, versions of the you know 15 seconds to kind of walk you through what happened and the reality of what Monique stands are talking about online is not matching up with the video that I've seen 900 times in addition to watching the full episode repeatedly and it's frustrating because I'm watching a woman say repeatedly on camera, she shouldn't have used those words against me. She should have known better. Of course, I'm going to be physically violent. And what she doesn't understand, but what Chris understands is just because someone is saying something to you does not mean you have the right to physically aggress them. The purpose of the show in many ways is to use your words as weapons and I don't have a lot of empathy or really probably more than that understanding of how you can make that defense and say repeatedly, this is how I was brought up. She should have known better. Of course, I'm going to respond this way. Her mother should have hit her harder. I don't, it doesn't like make sense to me. It And it, that's where we get into the nuance of whose side are you on? Because I mean, team watching great TV, which is a cop out for me to say that I in the context of the altercation, I'm team Candace in the context of real life. I'm team Monique. I'm team Monique as a person. I'm team Monique even as a housewife personality before I'm team Candace. But at the end of the day, Monique was wrong and her behavior after in the hallway, running at the car, talking to Chris the next day. And online makes me feel frustrated with her because she's not she's on it like a, in a completely different world than the one that I'm on. You know, like there's no excuse for what she did and she's not even really excusing it. She's stepping into it and owning it. And I just don't think assaulting somebody is a trophy you should be proud to have. And I think that there was prime opportunity you know, obviously this happened quite a long time ago. Right. There's prime opportunity ago. to hop online and kind of, I don't want to say rein it in, but take a little bit more control of your narrative and say, this is what I was feeling that night. And I reacted in a way that I'm not proud of, but just let me give you the full context. And it's not my proudest moment and express mm -hmm. some sort of regret around it. And as you pointed out in real time, we're seeing that, present day Monique not only on in the scenes for next week's episode where she seems to show no remorse but present day Monique is still sort of unwilling to 
not to like pull some Teddy Mellencamp lingo out, but like unable to be accountable. Mm-hmm. And it's just disappointing because I think a lot about like season two and three Monique and how much when the other girls would like come at her with mess, mm-hmm. she was like so level headed and sort of like one of my favorite aspects of Monique was just like her willing her, her excuse me, her ability to like take on the bullshit, especially that Giselle was like giving her and not let it get under her skin. Realize that like really Giselle's comments towards Monique were out of jealousy. That's just my read. Um, And it's disappointing to see that Monique become just so reactive and um, yeah, I mean, so I guess what, what we're all hearing, or excuse me, what I'm hearing, I should say, is that this will be Monique's last season, that she will not be returning. And I imagine, like, things get complicated and when it starts, when lawsuits start to come into play. Um, thank you, Adrian Malouf. Um, so I'm <laughs> curious to see how they'll resolve this with the finale. One thing that I worry about going into the second half of this season is I thought the show did such a great job for these first, I think we're on, like, episode 9 or 10. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we all knew where we were going this season, right? Like, we knew this fight was going to happen. I think they did a wonderful job of building up to it and, like, acknowledging the, like, the reality that, like, things are going to go off course, so let's, like, let's build to that. Mm-hmm. Now that things went off course, I'm curious to see where we go from here and how much it's going to be, how much we're going to be spend the rest of this season talking about that one moment. Like, that's mm-hmm. what I'm curious about. And, um... I just gotta say, I love Karen Huger. Just throwing that in there. <laughs> I mean, when you watch that scene over and over again, the power and, you know, just friendship that Karen Huger truly feels toward Monique and Candace mm. and her horror at this happening and her just quick movement to see if both of these women are okay, like the humanity and maturity that Karen Huger displayed, it's almost like we're unworthy of mm, it. A good you woman. You know, a really good woman. And someone who said online, you know, make sure you watch this most recent episode really closely. I don't know what that was referencing. Some people have said maybe it's referencing the fact that Giselle pushed, and I don't begrudge just I mean, you know, Giselle was trying to push Monique away from Candace at the start of the altercation. And in that moment, Monique may have thought that was Candace and not Giselle. And that's what kind of made it pop off in the way that it did. So I don't know what she's referencing with that. I'm sure we'll find out on the reunion, or I hope we will. But the power of Karen Huger and the importance of the thread of Karen Huger was so crucial to this because it was so heated and awful and sustained. It was, there was an essence here and I'm apologies to Monique for saying this, but there was a moment of almost release and relief that wasn't quite the glee that Danielle Staub had when she dragged Margaret Joseph's, but it did feel like Monique was able to express herself through her body that she couldn't through her mouth and mind. And that was concerning to me. And that also, to me, it may make sense for why she's unwilling to fully repent because it feels like to me as a viewer watching this, Monique is saying 
these are the myriad of reasons why I acted in the way that I did. And if you're telling me to repent for that, to apologize for that, what you're telling me is to apologize for the sustained anger that I felt prior. And she's conflated the two, and that's why we are where we are. And I feel like a lot of her fans are doing the same thing, where they are communicating a narrative that I didn't see on TV or are so unwilling to accept responsibility for the fact that Monique was the one that was initiating the physical violence part of it. I mean, she was the only one physically uh, fighting. I think Candace at a certain point was attempting to protect herself, which God bless. Um, And that is what is difficult to me to understand is like, I think a part of ideally being a housewife is being able to like look inward and it might be that she's in such triage that that's not happening. And also some of the best housewives are people who are like completely in their bubble. Um, But for the fans that I'm watching online, it's like people are so defensive and territorial about this that the incapacity that a lot of people have to like recognize that the person that they stand has misbehaved is wild. It's just, it's wild. Yeah. And I always, you know, and I was actually just talking about this on my podcast recently. It's just like standing people in 2020 is just dangerous. And especially when it comes to reality television figures who, at least when you stand a celebrity, it's like you can, in theory, be standing the version of them that they're putting out into the world. So Mm -hmm. you're not, in theory, you're not going to see as many of the flaws because like you're standing, I think about Britney Spears stands, for instance, it's like Mm -hmm. you're seeing the Britney that she chooses to put out. But when it comes to the housewives, it's just, I think that they, even the ones you love, like it's like my favorite housewife is Bethany and Bethany is like, it's like incredible. I mean, anyone that anyone that knows Bethany, it's yeah, extremely complicated. It's yeah, it's like part of exactly like you. Yeah. You love her. It's complex, but mm-hmm. that's why I would never stand them. Um, mm-hmm. So when these people come out and they're like so in the corner of one, I just I don't think like this cinematic universe that of housewives mm-hmm. whereas to make a comparison to drag race i do get what you're standing because you're standing the art that these people mm-hmm. create through their mm-hmm. drag persona you're standing the drag queen the persona mm-hmm. the the version of themselves and or the character that they've created that is like this sort of like finessed version of something mm-hmm. whereas with these women I think it's bizarre. It's like, especially when you're standing them so blindly, it's like, what are you really, are you, are you going to sink with this ship? Like, are you, are you saying that this one was correct for physically attacking this other one? I do want to add one other thing though. I think it's, I think it's noteworthy that Monique left alone because you saw how involved the producers were in that moment. Like, you know, being on camera and whatnot. I'm surprised neither the producers nor Karen or someone was like, get in the car with her, make sure she gets home, get her. Cause it's like, you want the person after a big moment to exhale and you want that exhale to be done mm-hmm. to the camera. What are you feeling? It's like, have you ever seen the comeback? Um, I mean, okay. Valerie Cherish forever. Yes. Are so there's kidding? the big moment in, in the pilot episode. It's like right after Valerie gets into a confront. I can't remember the exact premise of it, but she's, Oh, it's like after 
the audition or something. And she's walking out of the room and the producer's right in front of her and they're like, complete this sentence. I am feeling. Because like mm-hmm. this big moment's happening and the camera person wants the, let, let, let me inside what's going on in your head right now. We weren't able to have that moment with Monique. We never saw the drive home. She never let it out. And I think part of that sort of makes the, where her head was at in that scene very unclear because everything we know about it is sort of after the fact from her. But it's like, I want to know immediately afterwards, is there a world in which she went home and she was filled with regret? Doesn't seem that way, but it's like, I would have loved the camera in the car and I'm surprised not that Karen especially didn't get in the car and go seeing as all the other women were staying back. It just would have made sense for me to see Karen go with her friend just to make sure that, you know, I know she went and checked on her, but Mm -hmm. I would have thought that she would have, it's just odd to like let Monique go home alone. I mean, I think everybody knew though that she was kind of in pretty good hands because she did what she felt needed to be done. Fair. Like she, it it released out of her. She was able, I don't think she was in a, place where she was out of control the scary thing is that she had full control of herself and she was so she needed to grab and hold on to Candace and she refused to let go yeah and it was the picture that we saw with the hair and it was the picture that she saw in her own head and from that point on once it was done she tried to go in one more time once that was done I think it was done in in for Monique I think she was like cool as can be you know I think that that she felt like this is the response that you deserve. So I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to make sure it's a memory that you never forget, you know? Right. And it's like we get this situation on several of the franchises where it's like you have this woman like Monique who Mm – I don't get me wrong. I think her friendship with Karen is real, but it's like the group as a whole has never accepted Monique. Yes. And so like, she's always been on the outskirts from the very moment she arrived in season two, Giselle had it out for her. Mm -hmm. And you know, Robin is part of the Giselle army. Love Robin, Mm -hmm. but it's true. And so it was like Monique was sort of positioned in a way where she was set up for failure in contrast to like Aaliyah in New York, who was very clearly embraced by, not by Ramona, who like wanted to pull the We Hate the Newbie card, mm-hmm. but all the other women were like, no, 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 we'll let her in. And I feel like Monique never was really given the space to formulate real friendships with women outside of Karen. But I also want to say, as much as I think that friendship is real, I think Karen benefits from the fact that A, she knows Monique is really popular in the fandom. And also Karen knows that that Giselle has a Robin and Karen kind of wants her equivalent to that, which I think is Candace to an extent, but it's like Karen knows that it's smart. Karen's a smart woman. She's a very smart woman. And she's smart enough to know that it's behoove of her to have Monique in her pocket she was thinking that in that moment though or no not necessarily in that moment yeah okay. yeah great, great, great. yeah man and then we see that trailer and it's like i'm guessing that monique wasn't at that finale party or that event where the next physical <laughs> altercation goes down it looks like it's one between the darbies and um the bassets and Oof. I mean, if Candace in that context is the one being physically it's just like... aggressive, 
like there was real I don't understand the people who truly think that there's a possibility Candace is going to be back next season which is a very different conversation from do you want her to return I think this is a shooting star who shined bright albeit blinding and like her time is almost done there's yeah. no way. There's no way. And that has nothing to do. I, I truly, I, with the alteration that we saw this week, I truly think that Monique at the end of the day was like entirely in the wrong. She is the one that provoked what ended up happening. Monique herself. She then said that she was provoked. The news, who knows how, yeah. said that Candace threw a glass of wine at her and that Monique herself was only uh, reacting in defense. Like Monique, for the last couple episodes we've seen it has been the one to um, elevate and then gaslight when it comes to who is actually initiating stuff. And we get why we get what's going on behind the scenes. But at the end of the day, I think it's really when it comes down to this, you know, not great for Monique. No, but this stuff at the finale is tough, but it's like, we've, we've never, have we had a situation before in which we've lost two people that were involved in something like this. So for instance, it's like, it would be like losing. Well, I guess it's like, we didn't have Brandy in the Brandy Denise. It's like, well, I'm just Portia, trying to think. Portia got demoted after the reunion thing, but was that when Kenya left? No, no. no yeah. No, Kenya. Right, right, right. It's just hard to imagine like losing. I guess you could say we lost Tinsley and Dorinda at the same time. And they were a part of, a storyline, yeah. but I just can't think of any instance in which it's like the two people that were at the center of a story were both gone because it's like usually one is given a redemption arc. And it's like the other thing is I just feel like it's a really bad note to go on out, excuse me, to go out on for Monique's business mm. because specifically as someone who's branding themselves around motherhood and, and wanting to create a, ba a brand around being a good mother. Um, I am not going to uh, mommy shame at all right now. It's uh, whatsoever. But I do think it's notable that this behavior is incongruous with the brand that Monique hopes to create. And so I wonder how not being on the show does not allow for the rehabilitation process of one's image. Whereas like, I do very much feel like when Dorinda comes back in season 14, <clears throat> I do feel like we will get, uh, she will be able to have an arc that will ultimately make her favorable again. And it's like, I do not know if Monique will be granted that same grace or if Monique will want that. Um, but I just want to say like, I want, I want Monique to win. And when I say win, I don't mean win over, over Candace, but like in life. Yeah. Like Monique, like, I love Monique. I have a mm -hmm. lot of love for her. Mm -hmm. I think she has been such an important figure on this show. Mm -hmm. I love her. And so this is not her shining moment right now. But, mm -hmm. and I'm not, and I don't, I, I think her behavior is indefensible. And, you know, we love nuance. And um, <laughs> I love Monique. I will, I, I, I still love Monique. I hope that in the coming weeks or months there's an inflection that takes place either privately or i don't know i know her podcast is on hiatus but like i hope she finds the ability to speak to what happened in a way that feels a little bit more like we can land somewhere and when we say we i mean both her and the viewer 
she's so responsible for her own redemption and she just doesn't seem interested honestly yeah. she really doesn't while you were talking i was taking in every word and also checking to see when the last time was that she did an episode of her podcast and it was in september last september of 2019 oh, the one year anniversary so <laughs> so i think that that hiatus is continuing. Which, LOL, the, the brand is literally not for lazy moms. And we have taken a year-long hiatus from the $200,000 podcast. I mean, there's a lot of question marks that are, are, are uh, you know, worth discussing. But oh, anyway, like, we, we wish you the best. And I just hope that, you know, it's like we got some really fun, like, Monique around the house antics this season, like especially with mm -hmm. T'Challa. And I just am curious to see if the remainder of the season will all be centered around Monique mm -hmm. having like heavy moments or if we'll get kind of like banter moments and just like more mm -hmm. lighthearted stuff. Um, more than anything, I just would really miss Milani. Like I just, that's one of those <laughs> kids I have like a really. Um, she's so sweet. She's so sweet. She's so cute. Monique We've, has like, the best kids. Yes. Monique has, like, honestly top-tier children. Yeah, so I, I just um, – I hope that the show grants her, like, the opportunity to not be forever defined by this moment. And I just have to say to add on to that, in life, Monique will be fine. Absolutely. She has four houses. All of them are filled with cash. She has a fantastic husband. She has fucking adorable kids. She has that motherfucking national treasure of a bird who we all mourned, by the way, when he took a nice 36-hour break. Um, and she may not need to come to a place of, like, taking accountability because she genuinely might be fine exactly where she is. Like, she's going to be fine in life. And I judge that against Candace, who is a troll online and IRL, who is so reactive and so inexcusably harmful to so many people sliding into their DMs or things she's saying in Instagram Live, who purports herself to be a woman who takes responsibility when she herself fucks up. And it is the biggest lie of all that I feel like weighing the two against each other at least with Monique there is a reason that I can understand why she feels the anger that she does even though at the same time it is entirely inexcusable for um the provocation of physical violence for the act itself for the ways in which she has tried to defend and celebrate being um uh, uh behaving in the manner which she did I also love Monique, love her journey as a housewife, agree it's probably coming to an end. It is entirely going to be her choice, unlike whatever happens with Candace. If Monique walks away, she's actually walking away. Unlike, I want to pursue charity with Leanne or um, Dorinda <laughs> needs to take a break to reset. That is not that is not a button that Dorinda decided to push. Yeah. That is one that production pushed for her. And so... You know, looking at the housewives we've lost, you know, the in memoriam, um, if Monique walks away, it's going to be because she walks away. And I look at Candace, who I absolutely empathize with in the context of being physically violated in that way, having someone touch your hair. Like there were so many points of war, uh, initiation, uh, period. So many moments where Monique took it way too far with her that weren't just in this episode, but preceding ones as well. 
that I empathize with her. Also knowing who knows what she did with Sharice. I'm sure she was involved. I'm sure she was strategizing or at least listening and not, you know, telling her friend. And also what she has done as a person and revealed herself to be IRL is so much less decent than the kind of person that Monique is where this is like the conversation about nuance, where this is the conversation about teams like in life team Monique in the context of the altercation team Karen, which is a cop out in the context of like truly the physical moment itself. I'm team Candace. I, I don't think she did anything wrong. And, and Monique saying, you know, only when she's drinking or whatever, you know, like there were just many, many moments of Monique uh, being not ideal of Monique being the one who was um, making the first move in the worst possible way. And so in that context, yes, like that's the conversation to be had. In the context of who was best, like leaking press, I actually feel bad for Candace in that too with the idea that the headlines were all about Candace being the one in that moment being physically um, aggressive. Like that's unfair to me because that's not the reality that I saw. But also, you know, like she's beyond a pill. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like a bitter bitter pill a pill even lisa rinna would not consume you know what i'm saying like not I, great i know what you're saying not great and the fact that so many people have so many stories of moments in which she candace has self-victimized while behaving in a manner that is reprehensible to people and then as a continued self-victimization doubling down and then you and you understand, oh, her mother, oh, whatever else. Oh, I empathize her with in this. But in life, the nuanced aspect of this, I want to see Monique grow or not. But I know that she's going to continue on and I don't have any concerns or worries for her. Mm. You know, if she leaves the show because it's too much, I don't begrudge her for that. She's got a pretty fucking great life and she doesn't need the celebrity. She already has it. She's trying her hand at business. Maybe she'll focus on 5G. I don't know. She's got a lot of passion projects that she's working on. But I mean, you know, like, <clears throat> she's going to be okay. At the end of the day, she's going to be okay. She's going to be perfectly fine. And so are we for like experiencing the season of Potomac, I have to say. Concur. Gems. Jewels. Like genuinely diamonds. They're holding champagne flutes, but like let's toast to all of us for being in on this secret, which is really not a secret. Everyone is yelling it from the rooftop, which is that Potomac is the best franchise on TV. Like, yeah. Potomac is the best franchise on TV. We all just need to embrace it. I know spiritually so many of our hearts are with New York. And people may say other things, but other places I maybe have forgotten about. But Potomac is where it's at. And the fact that in addition to the Monique V. Candace, we also got ah! the Karen stuff with Ray, the Giselle stuff with her father, and the continuation of Ashley V. Michael just goes to show you that when we say firing on all cylinders, what we mean is that besides Ms. Robin, every single cast member on this show is coming in hot and saying, oh, you're giving plot? Let me match that. Let me match that. It's just everyone is leveling up in such a way that it's like, 
it's just, it's action packed. It's just like, everyone's like, oh, these Marvel movies, I love these action sequences. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I love the action sequence that is an episode of Potomac. I mean, and listen, I'll place a $90,000 bet that it looks like Robin's going to have a little bit of plot. And we know she's getting fucking engaged again, too. But judging by that midseason trailer, there is a lot happening. Okay, you brought up three important points that we need to talk about. One, Giselle and Jamal, what the fuck? Thoughts? (laughs) I like, I get nervous talking about Giselle. Um, Do you think she's going to come for you? No, 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 not at all. I, okay. I just feel like Giselle is not a woman of taste. And that comes <laughs> to generous. home decor. That comes to fashion. It comes and to men. men. And so Giselle provides a lot for this show. Like she is very important. But mm-hmm. I just feel like, of course, someone like Giselle is going to see a man like this and want to defend him. I think the nail in the coffin will always be those beautiful girls of hers don't want their own father back in the house. That tells me everything I need to know, period. And it's like, it's just like Giselle, your own girls who are of age when they know what's up, they know what went down. They don't want daddy home. Okay, take a memo. Can I say something really terrible? Yeah. So this whole restaurant thing doesn't make oh, any sense to me. God. It's already closed, by the way. Rest in peace, whatever the name of it was. August Osage County or whatever it was. Augusta, whatever. I don't know. Um, but I have seen, thanks to quarantine, I think it was, all of Ozark, which is a, a sometimes interesting, often middling show on Netflix. But it involves, you know, a family moving to, um, you know, live by the water and have various business deals that aren't exactly on the up and up. And I look at that restaurant thing and like their owners, I feel real weird about it. There is something that is off. And the fact that he's investing some sort of like income professional yada yada tax implications like business something it just there's something like I I'm trying to track the scent and it's just not leading me to a positive good place you know there's just something that feels off about it and I just Giselle is a smart woman and she seems to be transfixed and I don't know if it's because she wants them to be together because she wants like this full circle happy ending in her ma in her in her mind, if not for the show, or what. But it's we're all like we're all seeing the same thing. Her dad, who seems like a motherfucking genius kind of guy, like very smart and very um, strong, and he's getting it. The she microphone thinks, is coming off. I mean. He's but like, think it. about the think about her boyfriends it. that we met earlier in the, in the in the early seasons. It's like Giselle's always been fixated, from what we've seen, mm-hmm. on men that do not show her any, pay her any attention, show her any yep. respect. It's like that seems. It's like and I don't want to get into like the psychology of it, but there seems to be a quality in Giselle that she doesn't value herself enough to think that she deserves what it is she does deserve. I also just like want to know, and this is this is rude of me to say, but like Giselle is so beautiful and thinking about like looking back at like Sherman, it's just mm-hmm. like Giselle is not aware of the kind of man that she could get. And and when it, not just the kind of man she could get, the kind of man she deserves. 
Giselle just deserves better. She deserves a better house. She deserves better clothing. She deserves better men or a better man. Um, she could get properly laid. Yes. I don't think she's gotten properly laid yet. And no. I want that for her. Yes. I want her journey to include, She like, needs a wand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she deserves a prize all her own. Um, and a stylist. <clears throat> Oh God, Giselle! I just I. How I do you solve a is, problem like Giselle? Right. This is what I just. It's not good. It's not. It's not. It's there's so many. It's not goods, but you know, weighing. I don't know. There, it's like various levels. There's whatever's going on with, um, Giselle and Jamal. And P.S. The fact that she was like, as you know, um, showing respect to the baby mamas. I'm not going to say how many other kids he has. I'm pretty sure. Sure, it may have been about like respecting the children or whatever. But it's also because she didn't want to say six on camera and right. that there were eight. Yeah. Like she doesn't know the number. He <laughs> may a, not know the number. Yeah. But it's probably not the one that she's thinking that it is. Yeah. Um. Then there's our beloved Karen and Ray, who seems to be talking about what she's doing on the show more than like La Dame when it comes to you've changed, you're not available as much, whatever else. But the man after 20 years of marriage doesn't know if he loves or is in love with her because she's changed because she's grown as a person as we all hopefully do together and separate what it's so it was a really rare scene to see like on any housewives mm-hmm. franchise and not mm-hmm. just because of how quote unquote real it was but in it's like part of the Karen journey is watching what like used to kind of be a laughing at situation become a laughing with like I just think that Karen Kuger is in on the joke now like mm-hmm. she be, she harnessed the 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 magical power of Karen Huger to just like not I don't want to say reclaim her narrative but like it, it's what I said it's it being in on the joke I just feel like Karen mm-hmm. is so she gets it She's so mm-hmm. like, you know, the pink hat moment that happened earlier and the, you know, Ugh. it's like Karen's giving us Karen mm-hmm. and the Ray moment. It's hard to watch also because they are older. They come from a different generation when um, women were expected by men to be a little bit more submissive and to be a little bit more subservient. And I go. think that the relationship that Ray signed up for was it how long have they been together 20 plus years I want to say like 23 ish but that could be completely so but like the relationship that he signed up for is not the relationship that's grown to become now a real man or let's take gender out of it a real person would be able to look at their partner's success and realize that People change, relationships change, and look at that and and still see the human that they've always loved all along. But I think this really is a shortcoming on Ray's part not to be able to... Do I think Karen's ego has probably grown in, in in the ensuing years? Absolutely. But as has her pocketbook, which he is benefiting from. So I just think that 
a real, again, person um, would be able to look at the great successes that their partner has had and be willing to be a little bit more of a backseat driver and realize that, okay, this is not the relationship dynamic that we had at the onset and that that's not necessarily a bad thing. And P.S., part of that thing that you're critiquing helped save your ass when you needed cash. Where do you think um, Karen's money came from? I know she said, like, whatever, but it came from the fucking show, and she gave him a nice, healthy check, a uh, chunk of it, you know? Absolutely. So let's, we well, can't have it both ways in that context. And I also think, you know, my parents have been married for almost 51 years. They got <sighs> married when they were, I know, right? They got married when they were 21, 22, shout out Vietnam. But um, <laughs> my dad was drafted, and they were like, let's get married. Um, but there is a difference with that kind of marriage and relationship, I would assume, as kind of an outsider to it. When you're married that young and you have no choice but to, like, grow up together, separate, whatever, versus when Karen and Ray got married and she was how old and he was how old. He was a grown-ass man when he married her, and he should have known better. Like, it is, to me, very emotionally immature to say she's a different person now than she was then. I get if those if that was, like, a bad turn of phrase, mm. if he was afraid of directly discussing that the show changed or something else that's different to me. But there was an essence there of truth that I disagreed with of this is not the same marriage it was before. But that marriage, did you just say this? Marriage should be malleable. It mm-hmm. should, to me, again, as an outsider, perpetually single, slide into my DMs. It should stretch. It should change. It should mold itself around the circumstances of who you are as people and the interference of the outside world. Yeah. That's the only way in which I think it uh, it can survive, thrive, grow, whatever. And what he's talking about, as you said, is like a different kind of view than the world in which we currently live, where marriage is ideally based on a concept of partnership Mm -hmm. and partnership and mutual respect change and mutual respect. Yeah. I do think that we need to realize that like, I think Karen, again, being a very smart woman, as much as I want to give her credit for being vulnerable, I think Mm -hmm. Karen is also smart enough to realize that she's going to look good by presenting this arc. So it's like, there's a there's a version of it that's, that's like by being more real on a reality show, I might expose um, people to like, I might let people realize that I'm not the perfect person you think. But in Karen's case, by exposing reality and the neglect that she's dealing with, it's like she only looks better. Like it's like anyone watching this is going to be endeared to Karen. So her vulnerability, there's not a huge cost to it. Obviously there's a cost to the relationship, but in terms of her cost into like Karen Huger, the public persona, this only makes her more empathetic. And that is something I agree with and would also say, I don't know if this was like an idea that came to her head or a suggestion by production because she needs story. And there there has been a public critique of Karen and I would say also Giselle that we're not getting enough of their life and life when it comes to like relationships, romance, whatever else. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if when they have these meetings that they all do of like, okay, what are the stories that are, that we're following? What's going on? Your kids don't live in the house anymore. You know, college life, whatever else Um, we can spritz on some LaDom, but we've done that before. What else is there? Obviously 
Karen has been very quiet about specifics relating to her relationship with Ray. And so that would make a lot of sense to be something to film around. And maybe he's upset that he has to film about it. How much of his frustration with not even frustration, I feel like that's not it, or confusion and how he's expressing or whatever else is related to the fact that he may not be a guy who loves to have like therapy inspired conversations in life and now there's also a camera crew there completely that's a lot of pressure it's a lot of vulnerability it's a lot of a lot and this might be his way of pushing back on that and he has to if he is a smart person which i think he is he would have to have the understanding that not only is he doing what you just said like doing something that makes him uncomfortable and doing it on camera but he also realizes that he's submitting himself to the edit um and if he's smart Mm. enough to realize he should know the kind of storyline that is going to be construed from this and Mm -hmm. have the sense that he's kind of in a damned if you do damned if you don't situation because there's no way that he's going to do that scene and that he is going to come out looking like a good guy right so like there's not a world in which he would think i'm going to admit to my wife that I don't know if I love her and people are really gonna gonna like me that said I don't think Ray's thinking about things like that but I just think it's we've seen instances in the past where the husband comes in with a little bit more sense of the camera and Ray seems very unaware in a way that again adds to the realness of it all but I would say on the scale of like awful men that populate these franchises which you know we could spend you know the rest of the decade um listing them off i would say ray kind of fits comfortably in that middle zone of being like not you know which he's not a jim marquee marquesa is that what it is marquesi marquesi rest in peace he's dead to all of us yeah i wish he was dead um And so he's not like, you know, he's not over there, um, but he's certainly not a Chris Samuels. But it's like, I do believe, just what appeared in all this, I do believe that Ray loves Karen. I believe that their marriage will, I believe that the reason we're getting this arc is because, Mm -hmm. again, talking about like the producers, I know that we, I feel like we're working towards a, um, What's it called when they get like remarried on the show? Like what Ramo- what Ramona did? Oh God, help us vow renewal. Yeah, like I feel like we're gonna work towards a vow renewal or some sort of gesture because it's like they're going to need to punctuate this story in some way to say it's like we had a we it was rough the waters were rough but we found our way to the shore. It's like that that feels like the only reason why Karen would agree to this storyline is so that it lands in in a hopeful place. And then we have husbands who seem to have a sense of bitterness about filming and participate in this and yet always choose to self-destruct at least during the period in which production is filming michael darby does not love the show seems to have a a begrudging understanding of his responsibility to appear on the show and a continual need to embarrass his wife when the show is filming. There is a reason why he can't keep his dick or hands in his pants during the times in which the show is filming that is so unbelievably self-destructive. And like, I don't even know this. I know that I can't even say it. It it feels almost like abusive to his wife, like emotional abuse. I, I don't mean that. I just mean it in the terms of 
choosing repeatedly to embarrass her publicly and privately, knowing that because he's a public figure, there really is no such thing as private. And I do not believe that it is only about sex alone. I think that for some of these relationships and some of the ways in which the spouses, the husbands of these housewives have behaved monstrously when the show is filmed, a lot of it is a redirect of anger or jealousy about the fact that their wives are taking center stage. And there is such an aspect of that with Michael Darby and like the conversation of why she stays with him and Mazel Tov on the new kid is like, we could talk about that forever. That's the next time you come back on the people's people's couch um, hashtag tomorrow. But I, it, it continues to frustrate me that we see yet another instance of him embarrassing her and doing so at a time in which he knows that she has to respond to this and see <clears throat> this while she's being filmed. Yeah. I do want to give credit to Ashley, especially for her. She appeared on Watch What Happens Live a few weeks ago, and I was just mm-hmm. really struck by Ashley is so poised. Oh, Ashley. So poised is very smart when it comes mm-hmm. to sort of like underrated housewives, specifically mm-hmm. when it comes to confessionals and mm-hmm. being a great narrator. Mm-hmm. But also I was just watching that and it's like, you know, Andy's asking her some hard questions and mm-hmm. there's the understanding now with baby number two on the way um, that the marriage has somehow, let's say stabilized. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's, you know, and I find her, willingness to answer the hard questions um, that I think do get very invasive um, on Andy's part. But like she is such an open book and I respect the fact that despite the fact that her husband continues to bring mess around and I, and it sucks that it's her constant responsibility to clean up mess on this show. I respect her for being able to clean up that mess in such a way where there are no spots left that can be Mm -hmm. scrutinized. Like she gets them up Mm-hmm. Sorry, weird for this analogy, but like she gets them up and she cleans it up, and it's like the floor is sparkling again. Like that's that on that. And so I, and I also feel like she, you know, point blank was asked, like, what's the deal with your marriage? And it's like, we had an open marriage. And it's kind of like she takes back the power in that sense, which is like, you want to gossip about me? I'll just clarify and confirm all the rumors that you've heard, minus the sexuality one, I will mm-hmm. confirm it all happened, right? Like we are open. And it's like, once you say that, it kind of shuts the other women down because it's like, obviously I think there's a lot of ignorance around open marriages on housewives mm-hmm. and in general, but it's kind of like, what do you, what are they going to do with that then? But yeah. like, ugh, yeah, no, keep going. No, I was just going to say like, I just, I wish, and it's like, I don't, it's, it's, I wish she respected herself a little bit more because Ashley is just, she could do so much better than this man. This man has shown who he is repeatedly yes. on this show. And she doesn't believe him. And she doesn't believe him. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, she's got to be making enough coin at this point, five seasons in. She's got a big social media following. She could do some branded content. Like there's, it can't be strictly financial at this point. I mean, it can, but it shouldn't be. <laughs> 
and I don't think it is for her, which is what's so upsetting for so many of us. And she keeps referencing this thing online of like, well, I haven't been faithful to him and he's forgiven me. Like, he's not the only one who's fucked up. And if we're going to talk about full transparency, I'm sorry, I need to know all the details related to that because you're opening a door to the fact that you're intimating or explicitly stating something along the lines of the fact that you've been unfaithful. What is that about? Who is it with? What exactly de- defines um, uh, being unfaithful? And what was the process of Michael forgiving you? Mm. Obviously, because you're saying that he did and has. I need to get all of that because that would either make me understand a little bit more of their arrangement. And I don't mean that in a critical way. Or at least I would have more information, you know, like to, in which to make my own conclusion of what's right. going and on. Right. And like, I feel like, you know, and you've talked about this on your show with a lot of your guests, how like Housewives is notoriously not a great space when it comes to, like, to, to discussing the nuance of LGBTQ plus people. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that's notable about in the instance of Michael Darby is it's like the lack of knowing. It's like on the one hand, they're so open. Like, yes, we're in an open marriage, blah, blah, blah. They've been forthcoming about certain aspects of it. I feel like if Michael Darby were just or Ashley were to come out and say yes both myself and my husband are bisexual Mm -hmm. and we have an open marriage that would be that on that but the fact that Ashley has come forward and said that she is bisexual which also by the way it's like we have like an openly bisexual I guess like because it's like we've had like Brandy we've had like housewives that have been Mm -hmm. bisexual but have we had one that's been explicitly bisexual there was that the friend of um on OC in like season seven or eight Oh, the trainer? Yeah. lesbian. Yeah, but it's like, have we... Anyway, I think that's just notable about um, Ashley. But anyway, this is just to say, it's like, if Michael is bisexual or pansexual or whatever, or a straight man that likes to engage with men sexually and his wife is knows about that and is okay with that, fine. But it's like, they're so... We're so open about having this conversation on some aspects of it. And it's like, you're on a reality show. Allegations are coming up in which you have a boyfriend. So I'm curious, at the reunion, are we going to... I kind of feel like we're saving this moment for the reunion Mm. because it's like we've addressed the infidelity issue. It seems like we've put a button in that, but we don't have answers about that. And that feels like reunion fodder. Am I the only one that felt a little uncomfortable about the fact that she was like, we invited someone into our bedroom when that really wasn't the purpose of the conversation right. or the women's concern? Right. That was weird to me. Yeah, deflecting. That felt like a, yeah, yeah, it was odd, but mazel to her. Can I ask you one quick question before I tell you to shut up, Evan? Yeah. Uh, which I never want to do. Um, Are you watching, are you planning to watch Orange County? No. Okay. You know, it's like, and it's not, it's not, it's, it's, not, it's, yeah. it's not complex for me in that yeah. I haven't liked what's been going on that show for many years. So it's, it's less to do with like, yes, do I, I mean, I don't want to watch coronavirus play out on that show specifically. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to yeah. be watching Kelly that on television. Like, yes, that plays into it partially, but also it's just like, I've been ready to break up with the show for many, many years. This just seems like an opportune time. And mm-hmm. with Salt Lake City coming and the trailer oh! giving us something, I'm optimistic. Yeah. I feel like I'd rather pour my attention into that and, you know, binge watch back seasons of Roni um, or just prepare for New Jersey and uh, Atlanta's coming soonish. I'd rather mm-hmm. like spend my time preparing. I don't, I, I'm hopeful. I know a lot of, um, the Bravo influencers listen to your podcast. I'm hopeful that the coverage of OC will be minimal because I feel like the biggest statement is not even viewership when it comes to these shows. It's more about social media engagement. And I'm hoping that people's outrage does not become, does not fuel the show's popularity. 
Um, I completely agree with you. And I'd also have to say, um, so, you know, I uh, restrict people, block people, do so for my own mental health journey. And the glory of restricting certain people is that, you know, they don't see when if you don't read their if you do or do not read their DMs or whatever else. And it's essentially you're halfway there to blocking someone when you restrict them like I don't know why you haven't just blocked them, but I ask that question to myself all the time. And so you don't necessarily see messages right when they're sent from restricted accounts, or at least I don't, because um, I don't know, Instagram is difficult. And I was um, taking a little stroll the other day, a little mental health, um, so, uh, social distance stroll, and um, noticed that I had a new message from a restricted account, which was from Kelly's, and I haven't tagged her in anything in forever. And my guess is that somebody sent her something that I said somewhere. And because apparently Jews believe in guardian angels, I wasn't able to read the message. And I actually tried to like figure out what it was and then realized that for whatever reason, Instagram didn't allow me to see the message, but wanted me to know that she sent me one. And I talked about it with my psychiatrist when I was like, I didn't block her, but whatever else. Because we talk about like pod um, housewife stuff. She's never seen it, love her for it. And she said something. And as soon as she said it, I had to write it down. And she said, or she's like, there's this expression, save me from fools. I will deal with the smart ones myself. Where I was like, you know what? I actually do not need to. There is the whole thing of like when you engage with someone, you allow them to uh, provoke you. And there's also the idea that like I know who she is. Mm -hmm. I don't need to for whatever purposes related to the potter outside. I really like she's showing me repeatedly. I don't need to see any more. And it's like put that aside. Mm. Let me focus my energy on people who deserve it for better or worse. So she's been now summarily blocked because there's no positive. There's yeah. nothing she would. It would have been so abusive and so vile. And I just I have no need for it. I have no need for Kelly Dodd in my life in any way, especially IRL. Yeah, I mean, you and a lot of other viewers alike. I mean, yeah, I think we all share that sentiment. I feel like they're. She was vile from the moment she came on, but I think a lot of people, myself inc included, kind of d did that thing that we do sometimes with awful mm -hmm. people on Housewives where it's like we get behind them because it's like they're chaotic and it's like mm -hmm. they bring entertainment value. But I think that, mm -hmm. you know, I think we've had a reckoning this past year with many things, but one of them is sort of like the behaviors that we find acceptable to watch for entertainment purposes on mm -hmm. television. And I just think, I think a lot of people, not all people, um, it's just with what we're dealing with now, and I know everyone is dealing with various things, but there's, there's a myriad of things people are dealing with. I think few people could say that having Kelly Jowd on their television is going to make life better. I just don't think that that is a reality. And I do think, although I think, don't get me wrong, Ramona Singer is a horrible human mm -hmm. being. I still, and I'm not proud of this, but I do feel like there's entertainment value in that horrible human being Actually, it's like, I don't even, this doesn't even make sense as I say it out loud. I sh actually, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Ramona's just as bad as Kelly. Um, I think that there's enough enough redeemable aspects to New York as a franchise. Um, and yeah. I would say that Ramona in many ways has similar aspects to Kelly. And I think of like some of what she has said online in regard to uh, Black Lives Matter or COVID and whatever else, what she said during the um, season that tracked 2016. That's one thing. But Kelly's repeated interest in spreading misinformation 
and many, many examples of explicitly racist behavior is at an entirely different level. And I truly cannot compare apples and oranges in that respect because she is in a totally different space than anybody else within the Bravo sphere. I would even include Danielle Staub, who's my absolute nemesis in life in that she is never because she might be a danger to other people specific people but Kelly is a danger to everyone and I would also say that I have no plans to watch Orange County I was so interested in your perspective because I wasn't sure if you have plans to watch it um and I you know God bless us all let's normalize changing our minds that you have the absolute right if you decide to watch Orange County to watch it um, as do I. And I think if anybody plans on watching it or wants to watch it, go for it. You totally. Nobody is saying to boycott it. Nobody's saying don't watch it. There's a conversation in how much time devoted one should devote to it as opposed to, you know, discussing Salt Lake City and obviously Potomac, which needs to be amplified whenever and however long for, you know, whenever possible. But I would just I would say to people, I would advise them that. If Kelly acts Boo Boo the Fool on the show, the show is it Evolution Media that does OC, or no, it's, or maybe it's oh, whatever. But the, whatever the production company is and or Bravo, it's like they want you to get outraged about mm-hmm. it. And so I would say watch it. That's fine. I would say I would I would I would not talk about it online if I. That's just me. But I would say if you are going to talk about it online, getting outraged about Kelly and kind of doing it for clicks and retweets, you're being successfully baited. So just know that if you're going to go down that route, you are doing the thing that they want you to do and you are helping the the numbers that they are tracking. You are helping them. You are bolstering their numbers and making them think that keeping her on is, is a, a choice that was well made. I completely agree, and I would also say really reconsider if you tag her in anything because she thrives on it. She is truly a actual human troll, and it just feeds her energy and drive and hate more. So just really think about it if you're interested because, God forbid, she may actually want to reach out, and that's the worst-case scenario. Can you tell the listeners all about Shut Up, Evan, some of the guests who you've interviewed so far and who you have? I mean, we've talked a little bit about a housewife who maybe joining um your show season two which i can't wait for but just a a little bit of like a sneak peek preview into um all things season two yeah so we had olivia wilde on for the season two premiere and then we just had shay coulee on last week um for episode three we have chloe Feynman of snl fame and then coming up we have jimbo from real from um canada's drag race and then Mm -hmm. we just filmed episode five with retta star of parks and recreation and good girls oh my god i Love yeah, uh, and then we are taping episode six next week with a former Glee cast member. Um, and so, yeah, and then obviously, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just share because it it's like, but I, so we're, I, we're working on Andrew Cohen um, for later this season and that's looking good. And then the current, well, I'll tell you this much. I don't want to say who the housewife is just in case it doesn't happen, but I yeah. will tell you, and I've been public about this, the housewife I am pursuing and I have a little bit of an inroad with, but not much, but I want Alex McCord on my podcast. It's How could that not happen she, immediately? Because she's really not interested in being a public figure like anymore. And also, I have I've heard this third party that she's very interested in putting that part of her her that those chapters wow. of her life to bed, which I get, which only makes me respect her yeah, even I more. And the I already shit out of her yeah, for like that. 
I love Alex McCord for so many reasons, but also it's like the idea of like being able to like, it's like, you know, here we are talking about all these housewives that leave the show. Like, look at what Nini's doing right now. And it's like the fact that obviously they're very different narratives, but the fact that Alex McCord was able to sort of compartmentalize that aspect of her life, go to Australia, you know, live this fabulous life, um, you know, say goodbye to New York Fashion Week, you know, where she was this front row fixture. Um, but so she is the housewife I am pursuing the most because one of the things that I kind of look for, especially when I do like an interview with the housewives, is it's like I'm not looking to talk to someone that does a lot of mm-hmm. interviews um, because they're sort of like primed. So that's why it's like mm-hmm. as much as like I'd love to have Garcelle on the podcast, it's like now wouldn't be the time to have her on. Right. It's kind of like why. It, 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 yeah. So it's like when someone's in cycle, I say, it's like they're kind of not my choice for interview. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I were, you know, when I go in the Housewives route, it's like I'd want a Phaedra. I would want someone who existed on the show for a long time and we haven't heard from in a while mm-hmm. to sort of be like, what is life like now? That's the kind of, you know, I would, oh my God, speaking of Housewives we haven't heard from, um, Katie from Potomac, like that's the kind mm-hmm. of person that I'd want to have on to just be like, Let's dive in. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so yeah, so we are, yeah, that's, and that's the, that's the show. It's just these long form interviews and uh, I'm really, really proud of it. It's a lot of work. Um, you know this, hosting your podcast. Um, Amen. But um, work that I find worthwhile and our, our numbers are growing and I'm super appreciative. And so that's the podcast. And how can people follow you on social media? Because your social media is out of control. You're so sweet. Um, you can follow me at Evan Ross Katz um, and, you know, you just hold down the button up top and hit mute. Yeah. <laughs> guys um i am celebrating my uh second day of unemployment what up so so if you haven't um uh joined the andy's girls patreon what is stopping you my bills certainly are not and my debt is out of this world no it's not it's actually fine but i keep on buying stuff because it makes me happy um patreon.com slash andy's girls as i referenced at the top of this nine hour but went by in a flash episode of ag uh i recorded with my mother it was insane showing her um clips from the top many of the top moments of housewives and getting her thoughts so look for that it went up this week and i'm also um releasing a patreon app with pet shop boy we talk about mm. so much die for pet so guys um if you haven't joined patreon.com slash andy's girls two dollars a month gets you my love and adoration five dollars a month gets you two bonus episodes ten dollars a month gets you four and um invites to special events including these zoom kikis that i'm having non-stop uh instagram at dame galley love all of you stay safe wear a mask wear a mask social distance we all know how important that is yeah um evan ross we Katz, do. i mean we do evan ross Katz, love you love you thank Die you so for much you. for having me um my total pleasure and joy and you'll obviously be back super soon guys love all of you tell us your thoughts and feels online and we'll talk to you next week bye, bye.